Welcome to the Ember Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today as we gather together to wrestle with the ways that these ancient texts collide with our everyday lives as 21st century people. Using art, music, and the world around us as our guide, we hope to breathe new life into these texts and that our conversations spark as much curiosity and creativity for you as they do for us. Hi, I'm Jeremy Grafe, and I'm one of the leaders at Ember Faith Community. Hi, I'm Allison Spooner, and I'm the pastor at Faith Emmanuel and Hope Presbyterian Churches. Hi, I'm Kelsey Wallace, and I'm a PhD candidate at Drew University. For this season of the Ember Podcast, we're talking about the book of Revelation. Whether you're a Christian or not, we hope you'll join us in exploring how the apocalyptic poetry in the book of Revelation challenges power structures, helps us to look at the way we use power, and invites us to resist oppression. This is especially relevant for Christians who are called to witness to God's grace, but we hope the Ember Podcast can help spark meaningful conversations for people who have other beliefs as well. Thanks for tuning in. In today's episode, we're joined by Rabbi Jack Paskoff, who leads Congregation Shirai Shomayim in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We're taking a moment to reflect on how we as Christians can fight anti-Semitism and support our Jewish neighbors in meaningful ways. Our hope is that this helps to inform our larger conversation on Revelation, as well as how we approach our daily lives as we seek the peaceful world God intended. Okay, so um, as you know, I'm an ember, and one of the things that we started doing last, just this past spring, we started recording a podcast. Oh. And we're in the book of Revelation which, as you probably know, has a lot of fairly derogatory language towards the Jews, even though it's a nascent community. We've presented it as mostly like an internecine fight, but one of the things that we were really careful about even then, um, and this is before Charlottesville, like mm-hmm. once before Charlottesville, when there was vandalism of some Jewish cemeteries, right. we wanted people to be very clear that like Revelation has been used in anti-Semitic ways. And what we were hoping, what I was hoping to do in our conversation is get a Jewish perspective that can maybe help to equip our listeners to, on one hand, um, fight anti-Semitism, and on another hand, um, how can we be helpful to our Jewish neighbors? Terrific. So I have, uh, yeah. (laughs) I'm grateful. I really am. uh, You know, that, that... we can have this conversation. Yeah. Uh, that the Christian world, for the most part, has come so far. Uh, it, it means a lot, and it's to have the to, to not just go to something that's benign, but to go to something that's positive. Yeah. Uh, that means a lot. Yeah. Well, um, just so you know a little bit about us, um, we're a Presbyterian new worshiping mm-hmm. community. Um, Kelsey Wallace is actually in a Hebrew Bible program at Drew, so, and, um, Allison Spooner is ordained to the, um, Carlisle Presbytery, which is kind of like Harrisburg area. And the three of us are really, like, we love what Christians call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. There's so much wisdom there, but we've noticed that in pretty much every New Testament book, there is stuff about the Jews, but... That's a pretty nebulous term, like even among Christians. 
And there's been a lot of ways that even Christians who don't mean to cause harm have caused harm. So we had a couple basic questions. Mm -hmm. If um, you want to respond to those or beyond those, that's awesome. Um, The first question, um, Kelsey wanted to know what your pet peeves about Christians, uh, how Christians talk about Jews, or just common mistakes or misunderstandings that you often run into. You know, one of the things I've come to understand is how uh, limited my understanding of Christianity was until I moved to Lancaster 25 years ago. Okay. Uh, I grew up in a community that uh, was either Jewish or Catholic. Okay. Uh, So uh, my understanding of Christianity was Catholicism, Mm -hmm. and it was only when I moved to Lancaster that I came to understand that there are some Christians who don't think of Catholics as being Christian. Yeah. so, so uh, you know, you're asking a very broad question. Right. Uh, the, some of the concerns I have are clearly scriptural. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, when Christian scripture refers to the Pharisees, uh, the description is actually closer to that of the Sadducees, mm-hmm. as Jews understand that period historically. And the likelihood that Jesus himself would have been heavily influenced by the upstart Pharisees mm-hmm. who were looking to reform the, the world of Judaism as they knew it. Uh, that it was a, a Judaism not based on an aristocracy of, uh, of genealogy or on wealth, mm-hmm. but a Judaism that was based on learning. So... In what you just said, I'm hearing that the Pharisees were actually standing up for a more egalitarian society. Absolutely. Whereas the Sadducees were trying to keep it more or less um, like an aristocracy. Uh, You know, not to get into contemporary politics, the Sadducees represented a very conservative element Mm -hmm. in Israel in that period of time. Uh, They were the priests. They were the wealthy. Uh, They had everything to lose and nothing to gain by some upstart who is claiming that there's a different approach to Judaism and to God. Yeah. Uh, I always point out, with my limited understanding of Christian scripture, that when Jesus himself has to talk about the most important principles by which to live, mm-hmm. he always goes back to Torah. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Lo- love your neighbor and love God. Right. Uh, without denying that that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. It, uh, you know, honestly, one of my pet peeves, it irks me sometimes that the footnote for that is always the Gospels and not, uh, not Torah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jesus learned it from his milieu, from his, from his world. Right. Uh, when we look at Christian understandings of Judaism, the reason I started out by reflecting on how little I knew of Christianity... Uh, I think for many Christians, uh, they don't understand the different Jewish philosophies Mm -hmm. that exist, and they still believe that Jewish life today is what it was in biblical times. Or that Uh, it's somehow monolithic. Yeah, uh, both actually. We'll get a call here every few years, and it's not anti-Semitic, it's not... uh, it's not nasty in any way, mm-hmm. but every few years we'll get a call wondering where we keep the animals for the sacrifices. Seriously? Seriously. <laughs> uh, 
So there's a lot of ignorance about Judaism. Uh, And uh, we are constantly uh, answering questions. In most cases, I don't mind answering them because they are genuine and uh, they are acknowledged as being based in a certain amount of ignorance. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm always glad to have the opportunity to educate people. Uh, But... (laughs) But then there are the questions that are designed to uh, attack without attacking. Yeah. I was once giving a talk to one of the local service clubs, uh, and someone raised his hand, and his question was, who's the most famous Jew who ever lived? And he was so hoping that I would say Jesus. Did you say Mel Brooks? Because <laughs> <laughs> that'd be okay. That would be okay. That would work. <laughs> Um, so, you know, there, there are questions and there are questions. Right. So these are just some of the, the pet peeves that I have. Well, uh, I, I guess the last piece of that is the lack of awareness of religious diversity yeah. in a community like ours. Well, I mean, even among Christians, I mean, it's hardly monolithic. We have multiple denominations, and within those domina- denominations, they're interconnecting fights about who's right and who's not. So... I mean, it should be an easy analogy, right. you would think, but it's not always true. Um, so in terms of if, if we wanted to be really supportive and we wanted to do some serious work to help to combat anti-Semitism, what are some things that you would recommend to people so that we have more than just our good intentions, and our impact could actually be something that backs up what our intentions are. You know, very often we learn about other faith traditions from people who aren't part of those faith traditions. Yeah. Uh, It's one thing uh, for people to continue to base their assumptions on Judaism based on what they learn from Christian sources. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I taught at the seminary for many years, and uh, in dis- assigning research papers, I would often get citations of Christian sources about Judaism, rather than even our our classroom textbooks. Uh, you know, I'd given them, here's your syllabus, here are the books, here are the resources uh, I want, we'll be using in this class. And what I got instead was, this is what my Christian whatever resource says about Judaism. Uh, Coming to learn from the source. Yeah. Uh, I can only speak for myself and my congregation. We are always glad to to teach. We are always glad to welcome people to our services here. Okay, if we wanted to attend services, what would that look like? First of all, your folks need to understand that we are not a proselytizing faith. Uh, No one is going to... uh, wonder why you haven't already seen the light and and converted. Um, It's actually, there's a very different take on people of other faith traditions. In the Talmud, a 2,000-year-old repository of Jewish wisdom, uh, there's a wonderful line that says, the righteous of all peoples have a place in the world to come. If we look at that, what I'm really saying is, I don't have to save your soul. The only soul I have to worry about saving is my own. Mm. So 
for people to come here, no one's going to question them. No one's going to uh, expect them to learn and em towards embracing our tradition, but learn to expand their knowledge base. Mm -hmm. We often host church groups here on Friday nights, which is our main service of the week. Mm -hmm. uh, first Fridays to allow people, and I can only do this in a Reformed synagogue, to allow people to participate in the downtown life of Lancaster. First Fridays, we start services at 6 o'clock. We end at 7. Mm -hmm. The other weeks, we start at 7.30, and we usually go closer to 9 o'clock. Uh, we will always have, if we know a group's coming in advance, we'll always have one or two people sit with the group, show them how to navigate the prayer book, including opening from right to left instead mm -hmm. of left to right. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's always a consideration. Then uh, following the service, uh, except on First Friday, when we really do encourage people to be part of the community, uh, we have what we call an Onik Shabbat. Uh, in the Christian world, I guess it often comes out as fellowship hour. Uh, many times what we'll do then is invite people to fill their plates and cups. We go back to the sanctuary and I'll spend some time answering questions there. So it's an opportunity to really engage with us in that way. That's great. Um, I guess backing up a little bit in the conversation, um, another question. Um, could you maybe help unpack some of the dynamics of the way Christians have adopted some Jewish texts but often have vastly different interpretations of them and how that impacts interfaith relationships. Can you give me an example of one of the texts you're thinking of? Okay, so for example, um, well, the, well, what Christians might call the Old Testament. I mean, that's Torah for right. you. But the order's a little bit different, and a lot of Christians will tend to read like a foreshadowing of Christ into pretty much everything. But that's... That's not really true if Christ isn't like a central figure in your religion. Right. So that might be like one basic way that we might talk about that. So just to clarify, um, what is often the Old Testament in the Christian world is not the Torah, it's the Tanakh. Tanakh. Um, Torah is just the first five books. Uh, and you're right, after that, the order of the books differs. So we have Nevi'im or prophets and then Kituvim, the miscellaneous writings. Mm -hmm. Uh, in some segments of the Christian world, there's more of a historical sequence that is ultimately designed to lead to the birth of Jesus. Uh, that's clearly not our agenda. Uh, so for us, uh, the, the genealogy at the end of the book of Ruth, for example, is designed to lead us to King David and ultimately to the Messiah. But that's a messianic, a Jewish messianic vision. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly in the Christian world Jesus is the fulfillment of that but that's nowhere the intent for us uh, we don't find in, in Torah for example in the first five books it's hard to say that there is any messianic notion that appears in Torah at all Torah is a, a history for us uh, that it refers to something some savior to come uh, is just not a part of our consideration at all. For us, the idea of a messianic figure comes about in the writing of the prophets and not in the Torah. Mm. So we look to Isaiah, we look to Ezekiel. Uh, those are the folks who give us uh, Micah. These are the folks who give us the texts that will guide us towards a belief in the Messiah. Uh, things like in Isaiah, the, the suffering servant, 
Christianity certainly takes that and applies it to Jesus. Judaism says that's the Jewish people. Mm. Uh, it's not about uh, a particular individual. It's about this people that has been cast aside yet has this unique mission to the world. Mm. So those are the kinds of things where, taken out of the historical context, I understand how people can see Jesus as the fulfillment of that. But it's certainly nowhere to be found in a traditional Jewish reading of the Tanakh. Hmm. That's very helpful. Um, what are maybe some parting words? What are some other resources other than visiting the congregation that might be helpful for people? Uh, I'll put a plug in here for, uh, and it doesn't have to be with us, but uh, obviously the the meta opportunity is to travel to Israel with an interfaith group. Uh, years ago, I led a group from this congregation on a trip to Israel, and our tour guide said something very interesting. Mm. He said, you know, for Christians, when they come to Israel, they're coming to the Holy Land. For Jews, it's coming to the homeland. This, some of the things I visit in Israel have nothing specific to do with a holy purpose, uh, except that it's a fulfillment of Jewish teachings. So I go to a place in Jerusalem, for example, that is a pioneering place in terms of how we treat our elderly. Hmm. Is there anything holy about it? Only in that Leviticus tells us that we have to honor our elders. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's what's living there now. It's not about what lived there 2,000 years ago, and what will live there at some future point. Mm -hmm. I want to see Israel for what it is today. So there are two very different ways of, of visiting Israel and seeing the different sites there are to see there. Mm -hmm. Many of my trips will take in Christian holy sites. Uh, it's a convenient thing to do on Saturday afternoon, uh, if you're in Jerusalem, because the Jewish sites aren't open. Mm. So we often do a walking tour of Christian Jerusalem and visit some of the Muslim sites as well on Saturday afternoon. Mm. We get to see that. Uh, there have been a number of times when I've led groups to uh, Capernaum, which sounds a lot fancier, and I guess it's Greek, than it does in Hebrew. Uh, in Hebrew, it's Kfar Nachum, which just means that's Nachum's town. Right? Uh, it's we, we elevate this little town, when we talk about it in Greek. Mm -hmm. uh, so a chance to, to visit Israel. Uh, to look at Jewish sources and to develop a, uh, a library of primary Jewish source texts. Do you have any recommendations for some of those source texts? Any authors that you think would be helpful for people? Well, first of all, there are some of the history books. Uh, there's Max de Mont. Uh, there's Simon Shama, who came out with a history of the Jewish people a few years ago. And, of course, you get to the point of saying, what else is there to be said? Hmm. But we need to do that also, because there are new discoveries. There's archaeology. Mm -hmm. uh, even to read the, the Torah, the Bible, uh, from Jewish translations. Hmm. Uh, I often give the example when I'm speaking to people, if you're translating the first chapter, the first verses of Genesis, uh, 
Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. The earth was without form and void. And then there's the Hebrew expression is, Veruach Elohim mirachefet al pnei hamayim. The Ruach of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Hmm. And I say to people, what is Ruach? You're looking for a translation, not a, a dissertation on the first chapter of Genesis. So how do you read that? Well, Ruach can mean wind. It can mean spirit. It can mean breath. Hmm. Is it the wind of God, the spirit of God, the breath of God? Most people of all faiths will automatically go for spirit. Because it sounds like a good religious word. I'll then say to them, okay, capital S or small s? In a Christian world, it's always going to go for the capital S. Mm -hmm. So to read Jewish translations and Jewish commentaries on the Torah and on the Tanakh uh, is probably the easiest thing to do. And to read them... And this isn't a, a plug for my own movement, for the Reform movement. But to read an Orthodox commentary wouldn't be helpful. Uh, in the same way, for, for I think, Christian purposes, that a Reform commentary would be helpful. Mm -hmm. In that the Reform movement takes into account archaeology and sociology and anthropology. The, these sciences and disciplines mm -hmm. that an Orthodox translation won't take into account. Mm -hmm. So I think just having that vantage point of reading one of our commentaries and understanding what it is that we bring to the text, mm -hmm. I think that would also be a helpful place to go. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We're grateful for Rabbi Jack's insights and his openness to interfaith dialogue. This week, we invite you to reflect on the idea that the righteous of all peoples have a place in the world to come. Does this quote from the Talmud help to reveal anything for you as we journey through Revelation together? The Ember Podcast is a production of Ember Faith Community. Your hosts are Jeremy Grafe, Allison Spooner, and Kelsey Wallace. Music written and performed by Subaltern Project. All rights reserved, 2017.